Debates over the greatest athletes of all time always tend to delve into debates over eras, over uh, is one era of sport really comparable to another era of sport? Uh, this is most noticeably in a sport like tennis, where uh, racket technology changes dramatically every 10 years, so it's very hard to compare a tennis player from, say, 1990 versus 2005 if you just watch the style of play. And this is made calculating who is the greatest of all time rather difficult. Generally, we do it off of total Grand Slams one, but that doesn't take into account things like uh, the era of amateur tennis where a guy like Rod Laver had to take many years off of playing the Grand Slams because he wanted to make money at the sport, whereas now you can start playing the Grand Slams as early as uh, you can compete in them. But there is something like a continuity of how someone dominates their era of sport. So this is where you get people like the Serena Williams's or the Steffi Graf's or the LeBron James's or the Michael Jordan's of someone who is just utterly dominant in their sport at a certain time. And if we can determine if they were the most dominant versus the other periods of domination amongst other athletes. But what if there was an athlete who was so dominant in their sport at a certain time, but who was also dominant in every other sport that was being played? What if there was a cross-sports dominant athlete at one time in one place? And what if I told you that that athlete was from Oklahoma? Ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to talk about the amazing life and career of Jim Thorpe. This is the America of America podcast, and I'm Will Milam, and I'm excited to get started. First of all, good morning. I hope everybody had a pleasant and refreshing weekend. Uh, I'm uh, excited to get on with a great week. I hope everybody else is excited to get on a great get on with a great week. As I mentioned um, last week, uh, I've recently finished my last of law school finals. I know I've talked about that a lot, so I'll shut up about that after today. But you know, it's. Uh, it's been pretty refreshing, and um, it's made these weekends a lot more um, of a time to get some rest and recuperation, and it's given me a little bit more time to focus on this podcast and maybe do some research for some longer form projects that we'll hopefully get to later on this summer, so stay tuned for that. But today, we're going to talk about uh, a quick overview of the life and career of Jim Thorpe, who by all accounts, well, not all accounts, but by my, by my account, is the greatest athlete to ever play sport. Though we know that Thorpe was born and raised in and around Indian Territory in 1887, that's about all we know for certain. Um, there's rumors and there's controversy swelling around where Jim Thorpe was actually born. That goes on to this day, and there hasn't, in my research, been a definite conclusion as to when and where he was actually born. This whole controversy stems from the fact that we don't have Jim Thorpe's birth certificate. The only piece of official record that we have related to Jim Thorpe being born is actually his uh, baptismal certificate from the Catholic Church, which lists him as Jacobus Franciscus Thorpe, which anglicized to Jacob Francis Thorpe. But 
it doesn't actually bear a birth date on it. Um, he was considered to have been born and raised near the town of Prague, Oklahoma, even though Thorpe himself would contest this, saying that he was born, quote, near and south of Belmont, Potawatomi County, along the banks of the North Fork River. Though biographers and historians actually dispute whether Thorpe was right in this assessment. Now, Prague, Oklahoma is an interesting place in and of itself. Uh, you probably see signs for it if, you're, if you've ever been in Oklahoma, if you're from Oklahoma and you've ever driven from Oklahoma City to Tulsa or Tulsa to Oklahoma City, you'll see signs along the highway for Prague, Oklahoma. It is spelled like Prague, Prague, the capital of the Czech Republic, and it was also not controversially, uh, home to many Czech immigrants um, around the turn of the century. So it was ideally named after the capital of Bohemia at the time, which is Prague. I don't know how the pronunciation was changed to Prague, but it's a, kind of a common um, affect that American-style English has. Uh, if you think of uh, famous writers like W.B. Du Bois, we pronounce it W.B. Du Bois, even though in French it would be Du Bois, um, like that. Uh, Prague, the uh, Czech Republic, um, when we had a town named after that in Oklahoma, we pronounce it Prague. So Prague is the correct pronunciation for that town, even though it is spelled like Prague. And in the case of Thorpe, there's also uh, some speculation that he might have been born in Shawnee in Potawatomi County. And Shawnee is another um, larger, uh, minor uh, Oklahoma city, um, home to the uh, home to the former Catholic College of St. Gregory's, uh, which there's also a monastery there that has some very pretty buildings and uh, um, actually has some very very pretty liturgy. If you're interested in that sort of thing, so there is a claim also that uh, Jim Thorpe was actually from Shawnee and not Prague. So if you were uh, a listener who is, uh, who is of the opinion that Jim Thorpe is from Shawnee, uh, I'm giving credence to that. I don't have the answer, but it's certainly possible. Thorpe himself was of mixed race ancestry, which will become important later on in the story. Uh, through both his father and his mother's side, he was part French, part Irish, part Sac and Fox, in part Potawatomi. Uh, he was raised as Sack and Fox, and he actually had a Sack and Fox name, which I'm not going to try to pronounce because I would absolutely butcher it, but the English translation would mean Bright Path. Thorpe himself also had a rather troubled childhood. He lost a brother at a young age um, from pneumonia. Uh, he had some disciplinary problems where he would um, run away after being sent to an Indian boarding school in Kansas. Uh, his mother died when he was also at a young age, and he had a tumultuous relationship with his father. So he was going through a lot at a very young age. So it wasn't really until his teenage years that his athletic prowess began to show. So with that, let's move on to Jim Thorpe's career as an athlete. Thorpe first showed promise when he was a 16-year-old who went to Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. There... The football coach at the time was one of the legendary early American pioneers of football, Glenn Pop Warner, so largely known as Pop Warner. So he really began to mold Thorpe's athletic ability, recognizing his talent almost immediately. Thorpe took to this uh, to begin with, but 
Unfortunately, while he was at the school, his father passed away. So at this time, he's lost a sibling, his mother, and his father. So after that death, Thorpe dropped out of school for a couple of years to go back and work, but eventually would come back to the Carlisle Indian Industrial School. And that's really where Thorpe's uh, athletic career takes off. He was a college athlete in track and field. The story goes that he walked off the street onto the track and began competing with the high jumpers and beat them all just right off the cuff. He competed in football, baseball, lacrosse, and I was even reading somewhere that he won a competitive ballroom dancing competition. But it was really American football where Thorpe would find his niche. And he played on the offense, he played on the defense, and he played on special teams. And not just, you know, supporting roles in this area. He was a defensive back, he was a running back, and he was also a punter and place kicker. So wherever the ball was on the field, Thorpe was going for it. Thorpe was a skill player at all positions on one team playing multiple sports at the same time. And as you can imagine, this made Carlisle an absolute monster of a football program. And they recorded wins over a lot of the top-ranked colleges in the United States. And as obviously you would imagine, Thorpe became a star. So naturally, when the United States Olympic Committee is deciding who they're going to put together for the 1912 Summer Olympic Games, they need to look for the best amateur athletes in the country. They didn't need to look very far. Thorpe competed in both the pentathlon and the decathlon. The pentathlon in the early 21st century was really a hodgepodge of your general athletic events. It included a standing long jump, a javelin throw, a 200-meter dash, a discus throw, and a 1,500-meter run, which is pretty similar to you know the kinds of events you see in these multi-event uh, these multi-event um, sporting events where you have something like a long jump, you have how long you can jump, you have how far you can throw with the discus throw and the javelin, then you have how good are you at short sprints, a 200 meter dash, and how long are you at a medium distance, a 1500 meter run, almost the mile run, so that's, you know, three and three quarter laps of the track. So it's really gauging your all around athleticism. And naturally, Thorpe excelled. Thorpe would win the gold medal for both the decathlon and the pentathlon. And Thorpe also participated in one of the exhibition American baseball games at that 1912 Olympics. And the Olympic officials and the spectators noticed that Jim Thorpe was pretty good at baseball, this uh, this new sport that no one really knew that he had been playing. So this likely aroused suspicion. And doing a little digging, they found out that Thorpe actually at one time had played a little bit of professional ball. Now, looking into the details of this, this really should have been a non-controversy. Thorpe made, uh, at least by today's standards, ridiculously little money, even though obviously professional sports weren't nearly as lucrative back then as they are today. But even by those days' standards, Thorpe wasn't pulling in massive contracts to play baseball. And in fact, apparently it was very common for college athletes to play professional sports in the summer as a way to make extra money. The difference is, is that a lot of those college players would play under aliases, so no one knew that they were playing professional sports. Jim Thorpe just went ahead and played under his own name. After these revelations, as you can imagine, the International Olympic Committee was not happy, and they were not prepared to make you know, some kind of 
exception for this American, especially an American of half Native American descent. And Jim Thorpe was promptly stripped of his two Olympic gold medals. So what did Jim Thorpe do? Did he wallow in sorrow? Did he seek a career uh, rehabilitation? Did he become an activist to change the rules of the Olympic Committee? He might have done all these things, but in the short term, Jim Thorpe got kicked out of the Olympics for playing professional baseball. So what else is there to do than just go on and play more professional baseball? And sure enough, Jim Thorpe then became an MLB baseball player, the All-American football player and the twice Olympic uh, gold medal athlete which he did win fair and square, uh, became an outfielder in the MLB, playing for the New York Giants, the Cincinnati Reds, the New York Giants again, and retired with the Boston Braves. Upon retiring from baseball, what did Jim Thorpe do? Did he settle down? Did he retire? Did he again go after the Olympic Committee? No, Jim Thorpe decided that he was going to go on and play professional football, and he went on and played professional football for the National Football League. So to recap... Jim Thorpe was an absolute beast, one of the most effective players in college football of his day. He then went on to win two Olympic gold medals and then would go on to have careers in both the MLB and the NFL. And apparently later on, it would be discovered that he actually played a primitive form of professional basketball as well. In my opinion, there is no athlete that comes close to this. There is no kind of multi-generational athlete, maybe a guy like Bo Jackson, who obviously was able to do something like this in a more competitive atmosphere, but nothing to this scale and nothing to this scale for as long as he did it. And he wasn't even playing a lot of these sports at the same time. And he could just pick things up really easily. And obviously it's, it's fair to say that playing professional sports at this time didn't require as much work. It didn't require as much effort as it would be today. But all that being said, this was still a guy who was able to just pick up anything he really wanted to and master it almost effortlessly, or with a lot of effort, with a lot more effort than anybody else was putting in. And that's what makes Jim Thorpe so remarkable. Unfortunately, what's also remarkable was that along with the meteoric rise and just sheer peak of Jim Thorpe, there also came, sadly, a great decline. And Jim Thorpe would go on to die in the early 50s, almost penniless, running out of money, and at one time being a construction worker, a doorman, and a security officer. Thorpe struggled with alcoholism for a lot of his life and eventually died of heart failure at the age of 65. Thankfully, Thorpe did win after death what he unfortunately could not win in life, and in 1982, his medals were reinstated. Unfortunately, though those medals were some commemorative medals were given to his family and the actual gold medals were held in museums, they were stolen and they have not since been recovered. So we don't know where his medals are, but we do know that Jim Thorpe was the winner of the 1912 decathlon and pentathlon. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of our very, very brief overview of the greatest athlete of all time. A part Native American multi-athlete from the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. Well, not the middle of nowhere, but we're not even really sure where Jim Thorpe is from. But the man's story is unforgettable. And to go from a guy without a birth certificate and not really knowing where he was born and not really knowing where he was raised to a double Olympic champion and becoming the greatest athlete 
arguably, in my opinion, in American history, is one of the most incredible lives I think a man could live. And for that reason, Jim Thorpe is properly remembered as one of the greatest athletes of all time. An undoubtedly imperfect man, but a man who mastered his craft, a man that we can look at and say, this guy was able to do great things and was able to put his ability to the very best of what he could give. And flawed though he was, it is still an example that I think is worth following in whatever we decide to pursue, whether it be sport, whether it be career, whether it be academics, whether it be a mind state, we really like to have examples of that pursuit of excellence. And speaking of excellence, thank you, the excellent listener, for tuning into this week's podcast. Uh, I had a lot of fun researching this. Um, Obviously, I want to do some more specific episodes on Jim Thorpe, specifically the 1912 Olympics. I thought that this would be kind of a good primer, like the primer on the Will Rogers episode. I thought this was a a good introduction to a very important Oklahoman. Um, In other news, uh, as I mentioned last week, I was reading um, the old Oklahoma Poet Laureate Benjamin Myers' Black Sunday poems. I'm still getting through those. I still think that they're excellent. I think that they're a very good dramatic and literary representation of what life was like during the Dust Bowl, which is, you know, a similar period. Uh, well, Jim Thorpe's peak was a little bit before the Dust Bowl, but, you know, roughly contemporary. Um, on top of that, I actually uh, picked up a copy of Killers of the Flower Moon, which uh, my friends still can't believe that I'm doing a podcast about Oklahoma history and culture and that I had not read Killers of the Flower Moon. And I really didn't know that much about the Osage murders. Um, I'm about 200 some odd pages in and I can absolutely see why the book is sold so well. And I can absolutely see why they immediately wanted to turn it into a, you know, a bazillion dollar movie with Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro filming in Bartlesville as I'm recording this. Uh, I, I think the book is, is an excellent story. It's in a way, David Grant tells it in a way that you, you really don't believe that what, happened is actually happening. It seems too good to be true. Uh, the, the, the plans of the murderers seem, you know, too brilliant for, you know, your small time guys in a small city to be. And, you know, it's, I think it's a very good also account of the rise of J. Edgar Hoover at the FBI in Washington. And it really just all around, it's just a really, really entertaining story, uh, helped out a lot by the fact that it's true. So, um, it, I assume that a lot of people that are listening to this podcast have read Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, if you have any interest in Oklahoma history, it's it's obviously the most popular thing going on right now. Probably not going to do an episode about it for the time being because um, I'm just now reading the book. So obviously everybody's read the book, has more expertise on this than I do. So I don't really know if there's anything that I can add, but I've been really enjoying it. So if you, uh, if you have some time to read about 300 pages, uh, I really recommend Killers of the Flower Moon by David Grant, which should be available at all major booksellers. Um, with that, uh, we'll end the podcast there. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, again, uh, thank you so much to uh, my friends who are helping me out with the research with this. Uh, as always, if you have any comments, suggestions, or interest in any questions, please email me at chautauquareview at gmail.com. The spelling's in the show notes. And with that, Uh, We'll see you next week with another edition of the America of America podcast. I'm Will Milam. Thanks for listening.